This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas Ki Sisa, 5784. So here's what we're going to talk about. Parak Lamed Beis, Pasuk Chof, says, Vayikach as the ego asher also vayisof ba'ish. He took, Moshe Rabbeinu took the eagle that they made. He burned it in a fire. Vayitchon adasher dak. And then he ground it up until it became, you know, little dust, very thin. By mind, he scattered the ashes of the, the Ego Azov on top of the water. By Yashkis and he gave Benesol the drink. So aside from the obvious, there's a lot of stuff in this parsha that's weird. The first thing is, is that why is he burning it in fire? Second of all, how do you burn down a golden calf into ashes? Burning down gold doesn't work that way. It melts, but it doesn't turn into ashes unless there's a special fire or it's a different type of gold, right? Then, he scattered upon the water. What water? Where is he putting this? And why is he giving B'nai Yisrael to drink? Right? What in the world did this, ha- this happen over here? So Rashi says, it's not over here, but in Pamidbor, Parshish Pinchas, Parachav Ches, Pasuk Vav, I'm sorry. This Pasuk shows the pure mightiness, the koach of a guy like Moshe Rabbeinu. He went up against 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. That doesn't include anybody else that was there. No one said a word to him. He goes up to their God, the one that they've been worshiping, granted, only for a little bit, you know, only for a couple hours. <clears throat> but they allowed him to do whatever he wanted to do, even drinking what he wanted them to drink. He's one person, guys. He's one human being. Granted, he's the greatest human being maybe he was ever lived, but nonetheless, no one wanted to stop him. No one came anywhere near him. They just let him do whatever he wanted. Okay, but how does gold burn into little tiny pieces? How in the world do you turn this into a little tiny thing? Fire should purify the gold, make it more beautiful, but it shouldn't destroy it. So at first, the Ibn Ezra says that the fire was not meant to melt it down, but rather to destroy its appearance a little bit, to maybe make the gold look a little bit messed up, right? To mess it up a little bit, melt it, whatever it is. That's proper Rabbeinu Avram, son of the Rambam. It's also by the Redak and Sefer Asherashim, and that's all he was trying to do. However, the Chizkuni, Rav Sadigon, and the Ibn Ezra himself then says... There's something you can put into a fire along with gold that blackens the gold and makes it unfit for usage from that point forward. The Malbim calls it Melech Tartari. I don't know if that's salt of the Tartars, right, if that's what he's referring to, but together with the sulfur of nitro, right, if you put those together and you put them into gold, then you're able to destroy the gold from ever being used again. It blackens it till it becomes something like this. I unfortunately did not have the wherewithal to be able to search for this and try to figure out what in the world turns gold black if you added on to that. Some type of sulfur, some type of salt. I have absolutely no idea. But it's funny that all three of them, the Ibn Ezra, the Rafsadi Gon Rechizkuni, and then the Malbim later on, say it is so simple that that's certainly what they were trying to do. The Chida brings these Rishonim and says the same thing as well. He says it's possible that such a thing does exist in this world. But it's not like Moshe Rabbeinu had that at his ready in the middle of the Midbor to destroy gold just in case something like this would happen. It's not like Moshe Rabbeinu pulled into his pocket and just like, I happen to have salt of tartar right here. Right? And he was able to use it to destroy it. It sounds more like since it exists, 
then Moshe Rabbeinu was able to do it on his own with his own power as if he had the material. It's the same idea of Rabbi Hanin Medosa allowing the vinegar to light and become a flame, even though vinegar doesn't have the ability to do that. It's the same basic idea. The Otzer Plaza Torah says there is something called alchemy, right? Now, this is something that hasn't really been proven correct by science yet, right? But there's an idea that's definitely brought by different Rishonim and out there in the world, and the Chobos Alevavos is definitely mentioned in his Akdama, right, to Sharabi Tachon, right, that one can change metals from one to the other through a process that we don't fully understand. And maybe Moshe Rabbeinu did that in order to turn the gold into another thing that can be made into dust. Not that gold can be made into dust. There is such things as gold particles and gold dust, but regular gold doesn't melt down that way. You'd have to do a different type of process. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was able to use alchemy to be able to do this. And if you've ever heard of this thing, like this is something that was huge in like the 1700s and the 1800s, maybe even a little bit before that, where everybody thought you could turn like regular stones into gold. You could turn regular stones into diamonds by just a little bit of a process and going through there. Which again, has never been proven, but regardless, that's the idea. Those are the answers that we give in simple pshat. Mincha Blula says it may have been miraculous, along with the fact that the gold pieces floated to the top instead of sinking to the bottom. Normally, gold would sink to the bottom in water. That's normally what happens. We all know that water is made out of hydrogen and oxygen, which are very light elements. And gold, AU, is a very dense element. It should go down to the bottom. Even if it's dust, the dust should float down to the bottom of water. I'm not a chemist. This is what I've been told, that it should float down to the bottom of water. The fact that it flowed to the top is also miraculous. So the fact that it burned down into ashes is also a miracle. The Chaim HaKadur says it as well. Maisenisim, he calls it. It doesn't make any sense that gold turns into dust, but it was Maisenisim. The Megad Mechadashim wonders. He's like, I don't understand. Why would you need this miracle that a Kaddish Baruch wanted to burn it down through fire and turn the gold into little tiny pieces if you could simply destroy the idol with hammers and other tools? Why wouldn't you just do that? Wouldn't that be a much simpler way of doing it? Just take tools and smash the whole thing to pieces until it becomes tiny little pieces, grind it up, and then it's perfect fine. Instead, I, I don't understand. He threw it into water and every piece floated and he melted it down. Like, what in the world is going on here? Right? So he says it's possible that there certainly were miracles here. Because obviously there had to be something. Let's think. Moshe Rabbeinu fed 600,000 people little water with gold in it. Did he mamish? Was he able to give every single person a cup? And every single person took from this? And he was given to and everybody was fine? He came down midday. Right? Midday. It's possibly came down in the morning. In a total of six hours, maybe 12 hours, he had enough time to be able to knock down the Eagle Azov and then feed them in an assembly line with cups of water that had gold pieces in it to every single person there. Clearly, there's Mycenaeism over here. Right? Clearly, there's Mycenaeism. If there's Mycenaeism, I guess then the whole thing is Mycenaeism. And that's how the Megadim Chadashim seems to say. There is a Sefer called the Chochma Satoro that says there were actually two eagles. You ever hear this before? That there wasn't one eagle as of? There were actually two? Now it is hinted to in the puzzle. The puzzle says, Ele Elohecha Yisrael. These are your gods, O Israel. Right? So it does sound like there are multiple gods over here. One was made, he says, by Aaron, by throwing the gold into the fire. Another one was made by other people. When they saw the first ego made by our own, it was, they fashioned another one that was like the original. But here's the difference. The first one made by our own was pure gold. The second one made by the people 
seems like it was made of something else, a flammable object or something like wood that they went through. So there were two eagles, the eagle Azov of Aaron and the eagle of the people that was made out of something else that they were able to burn down that's there. When they went ahead in this Pusik, it says, Asher Asu, Vayikach is the Eagle Asher Asu. It's not talking about our own Zegel. This isn't the Eagle Azov, because Zov doesn't burn down. It's the other Egel, made of wood, made of stone, made of whatever they made it out of, that they then burned down into tiny little pieces, the one that was made by the people, and that's what we're talking about right here. That's explained also, the wood explained the Rokeach, who says they ground up the avodazara of the of the gold, and they burned the avodazara of wood. And everybody asked on the rokeach, "What are you talking about? There was no avodazara of wood. The eagle hazav was obviously made of gold. Why is the rokeach saying they're making other idols?" And the answer is because they did. They made two idols: one of gold, one of wood. The wood one they burned, and the gold one they crushed, and they made it into little pieces. And there's two things going on. In fact. You want to go all crazy? There's a Yushalmi Sanhedrin in Parak Yud Hawacha Bays that says there were 13 Egels that were made by Klau Yisrael. One was made by Aaron and then every single Shevet made their own. Instead, all together, there were 13 Egels going around. Ela Elohach Yisrael. These 13 are your gods, O Israel. Ivu Lalos Harbe. They had a desire for many, many gods. So they made it. They did exactly that. After Aaron's came out of the fire, his was the Iker, that was the one that was all based on, they followed his lead. So it's not far off to think that they were able to take some eagles and burn it by fire and take some eagles and crush them into little dust. And either way, they were able to turn into little things that they were able to put into the water and then feed B'nai Yisrael. So everybody's heard that before? You've all heard that there were 13 eagles, right? Two eagles? You've heard the two eagle thing? No? First time? Yeah, it's awesome when you hear it for the first time, right? It's really amazing, because then you're just like, oh my gosh, like, why didn't I ever hear that before? Why didn't my second grade teacher? And the answer is that your second grade teacher probably didn't know it, right? So that's probably the reason why. But if you ever become a second grade teacher, then you can tell them there were multiple eagles, not just one, not just two, 13, 13 eagles that were out there right over there. Fine. Next. Now we have the shach. The shach adds that when Moshe Rabbeinu saw what they did with the gold... He turned to the gold and said, is this what Hashem created you for? Again, we don't speak to inanimate objects, usually. However, if you're Moshe, you can do whatever you want. So you look down at the gold and he said, is this what I created you for? You're supposed to be the top of all the metals. You're supposed to be the number one beyond anything. This is what you allowed yourself to become? What's going on here? The gold immediately turned into wood that then burned into ashes that they used to feed all the people, right? That's what happened. When Moshe Rabbeinu turned his shining countenance, his shining face upon the gold of the Egel Azov, it turned into another material that allowed itself to be burned. It doesn't say, Vayisrof oso ba'esh, that he burned it in the fire. It says, Vayisrof ba'esh, the esh came from Moshe Rabbeinu's face. His own face was a flaming fire that turned the Igalas off into something that then burned down to little pieces. That's amazing, guys. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't even have to use a fire. He has a fire growing on his face. Right? That's the best thing in the world. So that's that. This shock answers why no one was willing to stick up for their God when Moshe Rabbeinu did what he did. The golden calf was mevatel itself to Moshe Rabbeinu and changed what it was 
miraculously to become wood so that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to destroy it. That's the idea of the Shach saying. Simply put, the Rokeach says this had to be destroyed because the Vodazar which had to be destroyed completely. And that's the obvious shot. They had to destroy it so Moshe Rabbeinu chose to destroy it by again, either burning it down miraculously, crushing it, putting something into it that destroyed it one of those ways. But... The Tzvura more says the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu felt the need to burn it into pieces was because the eagle represented the Yetzir Hara. And the same way that the evil ferments within the body and allows it to go through similar to Chometz on Pasach, the way to get rid of Chometz, the way to get rid of the Yetzir is by burning it off completely. And that's exactly what it did to be. Yotze, the Rabbanon's opinion, they also scattered the pieces of the ego all over the place. Remember, Rabbi Yehuda says you got to burn the Chometz. Rabbanon say that you just have to scatter it. You can even throw it into the Yam and that's good enough. So they did both. They burned it, they scattered it, they did everything they could. The Malbum says, amazingly, turned it back into the basic four elements. We all know the four basic elements, guys, are dirt, right? Earth, fire, wind, and water. Not heart, that's a little bit later, right? But those four are the four basic elements. And therefore, again, he used ash for fire, turned it into dust, adash or duck, wind, vayazer, by scattering it in the wind, and al pnei The al talks about this as well, that it was based on the four elements and that's what it went through. Okay. Next, all of that deals with burning down the gold or whatever the gold turned into and everything was the same. The Barbanel says, no, the golden calf was never burned down. Because again, gold doesn't burn. That's not what happens to it. If it burns, it becomes more pure, whatever it is. But gold doesn't burn in that way. It melts, if anything. But the other things that were donated, like things that were made to make a chuppah for it. Apparently, they made a chuppah for it, such as big gudim. Or the bummer that they made for it that could be destroyed and burned down. If they made a bumma, an altar, to be able to bring korbanos, then it makes sense that they made it out of wood. If they made that out of wood, then it makes sense that that wood would have been burned down. So really, the eglaz of itself was crushed. But the other stuff that they had, that was the stuff that was burned. The purpose of all this was to show that those who served the ego, it was nothing more than a bit of dust and ashes. That's all it was, and there was nothing more to it, and just that. Maybe there were other ornaments that they made, but regardless, that's the idea. The Oslaim Latorah says the exact same thing. They burned the clothing and other donations that they gave to the Aron, to the Egel Azov that was not gold, that were not made of gold, and that's what we're talking about over here. And then the actual ego was burned into pieces. All of that is mentioned over there. Now, Pshat, the Chizkuni and the Bechor Shor say, now when we're dealing with Moshe Rabbeinu giving it to them, why would he give it to them to drink? So Moshe Rabbeinu never meant to feed them the water with the gold. That was not meant. What happened was, is that Moshe Rabbeinu, because he crushed the Egel, turned it into little pieces, right, and turned it into tiny little pieces, he then threw it into the river to get rid of it, while B'nai Yisrael then drank from that river. It's not that Moshe Rabbeinu gave them to drink from the river, said they would drink it and have the little pieces of gold inside their body. No, they just drank from the river because they had to drink from somewhere. And they drank from that river that they had right over there. And therefore, it was as if Moshe Rabbeinu gave them to drink from the Egel Azov. But not that literally he handed them cups and gave them anything. No, everybody had to drink at that point, And that's that, which answers the question, did Moshe Rabbeinu stand there in an assembly, assembly line, giving them cup by cup by cup? 
cup to be able to drink this water. That's not what happened. He scattered into the river. They drank from it. It's as if they drank from it itself. The Ramban says, as we mentioned before, the gold was cut into thin slices that then floated up to the top of the water that they mixed it in with. So you could see the pieces of gold while you're drinking. And again, it's impossible. That has to be miraculous. That's not what happens to gold. But regardless, that's what happened. The point of all this, he says, was for them to swallow it in their stomachs it would turn into ray, meaning it would turn into urine and excrement in their stomachs. And then they would go to the bathroom, and the way he seems to say it is, they would go to the bathroom with little pieces of gold in their urine and in their excrement. So they would see what happened to the Ego Azov. The message was, all of this, all of Odazara is just a little bit of excrement. It's just a little bit of poo. That's all it is. So it would be disgusting for them. They'd never want to do anything. And their mindset in that Odazara would be, right, that was the bathroom that we had back in the day. Yeah, what's up, Shalom? Oh, so there is a pshat that they didn't go to the bathroom for 40 years because of the month. But if they're drinking something else or eating something else, then they did go to the bathroom. And that's that. Like when they did go to the other people and have something, that was still okay. There was some, something to it. But a really good call. Rabbi Victor Miller says, I, I, if, if anybody, look, you could have a dead rat on the floor. And I still think people would still treat the dead rat with less disgust than they would their bathroom. The stuff that comes out of their bodies. Think about that for a second. I'm not sure it's entirely correct, right? But it's pretty close. If anything, the revulsion that you feel when it comes to excrement is equal to the revulsion you feel when you see a rotted creature on the ground. Now think about that for a second. It came from your body. It's something you ate. What's so terrible about that? There are animals that practice things called capography or cicatrophy. That means that they eat their own excrement. Sometimes they eat other things like little like rabbits, they'll eat little pellets that come out of their body. They have two different types of you know, excrement, and some of it is edible, and that gives them calcium, and some of it is totally disgusting, and they don't eat it whatsoever. But there are animals that definitely practice copography. For example, dogs. Dogs will eat their own excrement without any problem. They have no issue with it whatsoever. Rats are really into it, and they take out the parts of the excrement that they want they eat. And the truth is, again, for us, that's absolutely disgusting. But Why? It came out of her body. It's formed from food. What's so disgusting about it? And yet we all treat it with absolute revulsion. Says Victor Miller, it doesn't necessarily make sense, but it's true. And that's what everyone should feel about a Vodazara, and he adds on, and atheism. In every which way. Everything we think about should be with absolute disgust. Idolaters who seem well-groomed and perfumed. They seem really nice and they seem very, very on target. They're wearing really nice clothing. You should go up to them and say, you're just a piece of poo. Because they are. There's nothing more. It's like going to the bathroom and you see this guy, right, that's in the toilet. That's really what it's supposed to be, says Victor Miller. That's how offended you should be by anything he says. Your reaction, right, to seeing such a person who's worshipping a Vodazara tells you how prepared you are for a situation where a Vodazara is in front of you. Are you associating that guy with evil or not? Do you treat him like you would your bathroom or not? What would that be exactly? I wanted to give an example of this. I was going to mention this before, but like you see people all the time walking outside, walking their dogs and then picking up their poo after them, right? No problems whatsoever doing that. Can you imagine anyone telling anybody to do that with their own excrement? Go to the toilet and then pick it up yourself with a little glove on? Just grab a glove. 
You're perfectly fine. Can't even imagine it. It's like revolting. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, if a phone falls into the toilet, that's it for the phone. The phone will never be seen ever again. That's not happening. It's disgusting. It's like so beyond anything in the world. But it really is. It's such a thought process. It's so different from everything else. That's our Victor Miller, Rav Hirsch, the Ramban. They're all going in the same direction. That's the idea of what Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to show them. Drink it down turn it into bathroom meat, and then afterward recognize how disgusting the Avodah really is. Thank you. Yes, Dave. So, I, why would you what, say that? <laughs> Just to give you the idea of what Avodah is like. I mean, yeah. I thought the busha that comes from, from, from going to the bathroom or excrement has to do with like, the unrealized potential if that's what you're thinking when you go to the bathroom, you have like, oh, this is potential energy that I w-, then kudos to you. I am very proud of you. That is absolutely not what I'm thinking. <laughs> the revulsion is what you feel. The disgustingness is what you feel. That's the idea. That's the idea of what it is. But yeah, that's the idea behind it. Now, the Miyamlawe says there was no river anywhere near them. Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't have thrown the ashes of something so disgusting to the Be'er Shomirium. So where exactly did he have it? Listen to this, guys. The ocean came close to them. He doesn't say what ocean. He doesn't say the Indian Ocean was in the Mediterranean Sea. Is it the Atlantic Ocean? He doesn't say. But the ocean ran up to Klau Yisrael and wanted to drown them after they made the Eglazov. You hear this? The whole ocean came up to them. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, I can't let you drown them. He then crushed the Egel into pieces, spread the dust into the ocean to calm it down and to put it back in its place. Now, that would be weird for them to drink from it because that would have been very, very salty water. Right? But that's what happened over here. And that's the water. The waters did calm down, went back to their place, and did not drown Klau Yisrael. The Megalia Mukos, in page 538, says, B'nai Yisrael were considered an Ashes Ish. And they cheated on Hashem, so to speak, until Hashem broke the Luchos, which was their Kedushan, and saved them. And that brings us to the next idea of Rashi. Rashi gives a totally different reason why they took this gold and they took, put it into water and gave it over to them and why it's a bit more, it's a way a bit more miraculous than what it was. Moshe's intention was to check them like a woman who is a sota. The sota woman is given the waters, the meimarim, hama'arim, the cursed bitter waters, that she drinks it and those who were guilty, their stomachs blew up their thighs fell or were fall, fell down after drinking this spiced water. And that's exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to see. He took the, the dust, put it into the water, gave it to B'nai Yisrael, and anyone who was guilty died by having their stomachs burst. Yes, Matthew? With the waters of Sota, don't they like, dissolve a piece of paper with Hashem's name? 100%. So, isn't it weird to replace that with the idol, as if we're comparing the two. Chaz it's more the fact that what they do is they have the parsha of the sota that's put in. The parsha of sota has Hashem's name in it. So that's what you're putting inside, and that's what you're erasing. But that's specifically for a sota who did that. That's the parsha of the sota itself. This was like that idea in checking for them and blowing up their stomachs. That idea is the same. But the type of what you're doing here, you're right, is very much the opposite. Very, very much the opposite. The Rashbam says the exact same thing, which is crazy interesting, because the Rashbam never goes with Medrash. Ever, ever, ever. Which means he holds this is Pshat. Guys, think about that. It's Pshat, 
pshat simple that he took the water and gave it to them to drink so they could blow up like sotas. That is amazing. That's pshat, not medrash, not remez, not sod, in absolute pshat. Now, what's the connection between the two? What's the connection between a sota woman and those who worship the golden calf? Again, like the Megali Amuka said, you cheat on a Kaddish Baruch Hu, you're an Ashes Ish from the Luchos itself. This is the punishment. You stray after Znus, it's like your own Oveda Vodazara. That's how the Medrash puts it, that's how the Sitzchachamim puts it, the Mizrahi, that idea is there. Now, the Panam Yafos wonders about this Maimar Chazal, of trying to check them like Sotos. He says, in Shabbos Pezayin Manalaf, Moshe Rabbeinu broke the Luchos. That, that was the Kiddushan. We just said from the Galia Mukos. He broke the Kiddushan that was between B'nai Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch, which means they were never married in the first place. If they were never married in the first place, they weren't in Eshesish. If they're not in Eshesish, they don't drink the Sota waters. So what's the deal over here? What could this have been? It would only have been the Znus of a Pnuya. A, a single woman, and the znus of a penuya is not as bad, it should be a much lighter punishment than dying by having your stomachs blown up. So how did this happen over here? It could be that a Kaddish Baruch Hu holding the mountain over their heads at Har Sinai, he says, was considered like a chuppah for them. And chuppah is normally not Kona. This goes into the Gemara and Kiddushan in the first parak. Normally you need Kesef for Kiddushan, Bia for Kiddushan, or Shtar for Kiddushan. You don't need all three, but one of the three, Kesef, Shtar, or Bia. Right? Chuppah is not Kona. Chuppah is the final act after the Kedushan. That's the Nisuin that leads into the full marriage, etc. Chuppah is not Kona. The Gemara asks, well, if those three are Kona, right, but this is the final act, then shouldn't Chuppah cause also be a Kedushan uh, in some way? Shouldn't it be the, the beginning of the Kenyan as well? And the Gemara says, no, that's not how things work. And the Gemara explains that Chuppah is not Kona. But maybe... Rav Huna holds in Kiddushin Hayamad Bays, right, that Kiddush, that Chuppah is Kona. And if it is Kona, that means even just the Chuppah itself is enough to be Makadish them. So even if the Luchos were not, were broken, so the Kiddushin was gone, the ring of the Kiddushin, but Chuppah might have been enough. So therefore, maybe this Gemara holds, or this Rashi holds like Rav Huna, that Chuppah is Kona, and therefore they can be checked like Sotas. Yeah, what are you going to say? Yeah. It's definitely a machlokas, which means if this medrash will hold this way, while the other midrashim will have to hold a different way. And that's the idea. If you hold chuppah's kona, then they were checked like sotos. And if you hold chuppah's not kona, then they weren't checked like sotos. The water was just something normal. So according to like what's happening with Moshe putting all the dust in the yeah. water, it probably is. Well, in order to give them to drink then chuppah would be kona. That's how you'd say, right? He would have held chuppah's kona right there at that moment, right? And if he just put it in to be able to get rid of it, to destroy it, then chuppah's not kona. Then you're going to be okay in a different way, and that's the idea. The Imre Shefer, yeah, what's up, Matt? Um, if a woman gets married by a star, and then there's a piece of soda, you can't just destroy the, contra- the star and then say, oh, well, not... That, that's a great question. Like, how in the world does that work? I didn't want to get into that whatsoever. Thank you for bringing it up, Mati. I really appreciate it. But the simple shot is, is that since this is not something that's an actual Kedushan, it's an in-theory Kedushan, then getting rid of the Luchos means it never happened. I, it's a great question. It's a better question than his answer. I have a whole Chavatzelos <laughs> Sharon on it as well. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, Same yeah. thing? It's a great question. I just, I can't answer that question all the way through, and I really didn't want to go through it because it was a lot of pages and I was lazy. So I'm sorry. But the Imre Shefer says this idea helps understand this. You know what? I'm going to skip the Imre Shefer for right now. Let's go to the next part, guys. Targum Yonason says, he doesn't say that they died after drinking this water. He says, anyone who drank it and donated gold to the ego had a simon show up on their foreheads. 
They didn't die. They didn't blow up like sotas. But if you drank the water, then your forehead was golden with like little dots on it. So they knew that you were involved. Parish Jonathan says, had they known it would kill them, they wouldn't have drunk the water. So therefore, it must be that it didn't kill them. It made them seen. Their forehead started to shine. Pardes Yosef says the sign was not just gold. It was tsaras. Actual tsaras that popped up on their foreheads, as Zohar says in Bullock. Similar to the mark they would make on the forehead of Zonas. You guys remember we gave a shear not too long ago that they, they branded Zonas back in the day? We talked about it with Tamar, right? So it's possible that that's what it is. It was the brand of the Zonas, and that's that. The Rabbeinu Afayim and the Rokhak say anyone who kissed the Egel had lips of gold for the rest of their life. Now, that sounds pretty cool, actually. But it also showed that they were people who kissed the eagle as of. So that was a problem. The Ibn Ezra says he feels one of the two must have happened. Either their stomachs blew up or a simon appeared on their foreheads. Because how else would Shimon Shavit Levi know who is guilty of this sin so they would be able to kill them? That's that. Shach goes on. Listen to this Shach Torah, guys. Shach went crazy on all this. He says, after they drank the golden water, those that didn't blow up, if they weren't guilty... They were innocent? Well, what happens, guys, to a Sota woman who's innocent instead of guilty? She has a guilt. Vinixa, Vinizra, Azara. She's innocent. She's going to have children. The Gemara says they, if she did have children before, her children will be born more beautiful. There'll be better children, whatever it is. But Vinixa, Vinizra, Azara. So too, anybody who drank from the water of the Sota, right? In other words, this water, the Egelazov, and did not do the Egelazov, they became awesome. They became greater than that, holier than they were, than what they were before. Not only that, but the gold they did donate ended up expanding and growing so that it took care of the Aron Code, Aron Kodesh, the Kaporis, the Kruvim, and everything else they needed for. The amount of gold donated for the Mishkan should not have been enough to be able to take care of all the needs of the Mishkan itself. But somehow these people, after they drank this water and they were made holier by the golden water, they had the Midas touch. And everybody knows what the Midas touch is. Everything they touched turned into gold. Everything that they did made it grow. They were able to make golden fruit trees. They would have gold come out of everywhere. All to show that the people who died were tzaddikim. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> the people who died were the Rishayim. But everybody that didn't die were all Tzadikim, and every single one of them deserved to have everything you could possibly get. That's the idea. The Rabbi Yol says, if you take the word Vayitchon, you could say, change it into two different words, Vayitchon. That Chain came down from Shemayim and surrounded them. They had this favor, this beauty that no one else had. That's what was given over to them. That's what the Shachal Torah says. Come on, that's not awesome? Like you drank from the water and it did something greater for you. It allowed your gold to grow. That's absolutely amazing. We'll talk about that hopefully next week. The Orachayim HaKadosh also says over here that the words Asher Asu, look at the word again of the Pasuk. It says, it says, Vayikach Egel Asher Asu. He took the eagle that they made by Yisofah and he burned it in a fire. Now again, we said before that there were multiple eagles. So this would be the extra eagles that they made. But the words that show us who are unnecessary. And he says there are three reasons why those words are added. Listen to this. According to the Al-Kurveni, did anybody know this? What the eagle looked like? The front half and the back half? We think of it as a golden calf, right? According to the Zohar, the Orachayim Kaddish brings down, the front half looked like a calf. The back half looked like a donkey. And yes, that's where the expression comes from, I believe. From this Yalgut Ruveni. 
right, from the Zohar, right, that the front half is a calf, and the back half was an actual donkey. And he says that based on the Sefer Asara Mamaros. Did you finally get it? You got it, Dave, right? I got it. Good. This is understood from the constant usage of the words in plural, which again, we explained before was multiple Egels. But he says, Eilalach saw are the two parts of the Egel Azov, the front part and the back part. Ha'alucha, they, you brought up, there was something else there. That's brought by the Zohar and the Tikkuni Zohar. They're all brought down. The Yalku Ruveni brings that all down. The Pasuk is telling us, they didn't just burn the Egel, the front half, they burned the back half as well. And that's Asher Asu. Both halves that they made, those were both burned over there. And it also teaches us that it is the evil deed itself that causes the sinner to perish, to go down. That which they made was exactly what caused them to die when they drank from the water that Moshe Rabbeinu gave them. They should make, they sh- that should cause a person who's ready to sin to reconsider his actions. Asher Asu, you did it yourself. You caused yourself to do. So either it's Asher Asu referring to the two parts of the ego or Asher Asu that's referring to what you did is going to destroy you but then his third answer listen to this third answer Bilam had two sons their names were Yonus and Yambrus otherwise known as Yochanai and Mamre in different Midrashim they're known as Yochanai and Mamre in other Midrashim they're known as Yonus and Yambrus Yonus and Yambrus were part of the Erev Rav they joined Moshe Rabbeinu and Bnei Yisrael when they left Mitzrayim. Yes, Bilam was evil, but Jonas and Yambrus pretended, maybe they really meant it when they left, but they pretended to join Klai Yisrael legitimately and became part of the Erev Rav. They were the ones who created the Egel Azov, either by allowing Ale Shur to work, you know, that little patek that said Ale Shur on it, for it to go through, or because they touched the material and threw it into the fire. Who knows what Jonas and Yambrus did, but their magics allowed the Egel to work. Not only did the Egel work, and the eagle came out guys the eagle was able to speak when the eagle came out of the fire it started saying that's what the eagle began to say Jonas and Yambrus were in charge of that they made it something real men of Kedusha have the ability to pull Tuma away from where it belongs and bring it elsewhere, such as the Anshe Knesset Gedola grabbing the Yitzhahara of Avodah Zarah, right, and the, and of the Avera, and allowing it, attempting to shach them both. We did, we got rid of the Avodah Zarah one, the Yitzhahara of Arias, we have something, whatever it is, there's something that's gone. Moshe Rabbeinu was also successful in pulling that Tuma away and burning it up completely. That would make it seem that the word by Yisro is not going on the golden calf itself. The Vayisov is going on the Tuma that the golden calf represented. Moshe Rabbeinu, so to speak, pulled in that Tuma and burned it up. The Ruach Ra, the evil spirit that was within, that caused the Egel to move around and speak and do whatever it was, that's what he was able to burn completely. The point is, he took the Tuma and the Ruach that they made in the Egel, Yonis and Yambrus created within the Egel, and that's what he burned up. He didn't actually burn the Egel, which is another answer to what we said before, did they actually burn the eagle? No. The eagle couldn't be burned. It's made of gold. Gold doesn't burn that way. It melts. But what they did is they destroyed it. They cut it up into little pieces. They made it into something totally different. And that's what happened over here. That's what changed everything. Our last thing that we're going to do, and we only have a minute. I'm I'm not going to go through everything, but Oh man, there's a lot. I'm not going to go through everything. I'm just going to give you Mara McComas for this, okay? Rashi then says there were three deaths given to B'nai Yisrael at the time. Those that were guilty by Adam and Asra were killed by the sword. 
right? Just like an Irani Dachas, which is already a huge Shiloh. What in the world? Why were these people considered like an Irani Dachas? There was no city. There were no insiders. The Mesis Mediak was possibly the Erev Rav. It has to be a Ben Yisrael for that to happen. Lots of kashas on it. If there were witnesses without warnings beforehand, they were killed by a plague. There was a Magefa that went through Al-Kla Yisrael. If there were no witnesses and no warnings, then they, they died by a disease called Hadrokan, which they got by drinking this waters where their stomachs burst until it killed them. Now, Hadrokan usually is like a choking disease that you can't breathe and you go down. This is more in their stomachs and it burst. But either way, that's the idea behind it. It might have been slower and more painful than the plague, but both of them are right there. There's an obvious problem in why they got killed by the sword. When people that worship a Vodazar should get skilo. That's the punishment for it. And Rashi is trying to get around it by saying that it's an irani dachas. It's a Robin that's in, not Yechidim. And that's why they got the, the Misa of Hereg, of sword. But that's already a little bit of a kasha. Everybody should look at the Das Zekenim on this passage. There's a tremendous Das Zekenim, a Maskil Ledovid, a Nachalas Yaakov that points out this Gemara in Yuma, Samach Vavim Beis, and gives a whole different explanation. There's a Ben Yoyada on that Gemara in Yuma. There's a Be'er Basadi here as well. And there's also more. There's a Ksada Kabbalah, a Tzedah Lederech, a Mechilta, the Maskil, Maril Diskin that goes into this as well as a Shemi Shmuel that wonders what the point of eating more if they were going to die anyway. Well, if you're going to die by drinking or by plague, what difference does it make if they were Adam or not? He wonders about that. That's a tremendous one. Rabbi Chil Mechel Feinstein talks about Rabbi Schwab has a whole piece on it. All that is there. What I'm going to end with is a simple rush. The rush wonders if those who bow down to the eagle were already killed, why would anyone else have to be punished? The people were killed by the Levium. So why is there anybody else who had to drink? Or go the other way. If people drink from it and already had their stomachs burst, then why did anybody have to be killed by Shevet Levi? Well, what, what was going on over here? Who was killed with what, when? That's how the Rosh says. So he says, there may have been some people who had the ability to protest, but didn't do so. The people who were supposed to die, died. But the people who could have protested and didn't stand up, those are the people who were killed. Hur was killed for attempting to protest. But maybe there were some people who didn't bow down, but could have said, this is ridiculous. And they might have had more influence than Hur, who was already angry and already considered a leader in their minds, and someone that in their minds was there. There were other people who would have been there. It could be those people are going to be different. And therefore, their sin would have been one of not making a machal, or possibly even shituf getting involved in believing in God, but also possibly believing in this. And that's still egregious. That's still a terrible, terrible sin. And for that, they deserve something. And that's why there might have been more. I'm shortening the rush because we don't have time, but that rush is also an amazing one. So I'm sorry about the last ones, guys, but the basic ideas that we said over here is, number one, how did the fire burn? We went through a bunch of different answers for that. Then what he ended up doing with the gold itself, throwing into the river or whatever it is, right? We went into the concept of Avodah why this is considered Avodah in this case. What he meant to do if he meant to feed them literally or if it was just soaked to waters etc and all that so that's what we'll end with for right now guys have a great Shabbos